are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Online at BethanyNaz.org. So here in this season of Lent, we remember Jesus' journey to the cross. And, and as Christians throughout the year, we remember different seasons of Jesus' life. Our faith is based, as Christians, on the belief that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, meaning He is the only Son of God. He was born of a virgin. He died and suffered on the cross. He was buried. But on the third day, He was raised from the dead. So I've been thinking this week quite a bit about how we base our faith as Christians and begin to kind of be enamored with how other Americans are thinking about Jesus. And so I went to an old, uh, or rather I went to Barna, a poll that he did a couple of years ago, and, and he asked several questions. One is, so what percent of people, American adults, believe that Jesus was a real person? And so 92% of Americans said, I believe that Jesus actually existed as a human being, which is surprising to me because history, and by this I don't mean Christian history, but by history, has a lot of evidence to support the fact that Jesus of Nazareth actually walked the earth. So the other 8%, I don't know if they're saying, I've never given it any thought, or I just don't know, or I don't care, I don't know. But anyway, 92% said, I believe Jesus was a real person. When asked, is Jesus the Son of God? Is Jesus really God? Is He divine in nature? Meaning, is God fully human and fully God? 52% of American adults said, I believe Jesus is fully human and fully God. I believe that Jesus is the only Son of God, that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born to a virgin, and is Himself divine. When asked, have you made a commitment to Jesus, to follow Jesus, 62% of American adults said, I have made a commitment. It's kind of interesting to me that some have made a commitment while not believing that He is indeed divine in nature. So maybe they're thinking like um, a good politician that I get behind his ideas. Maybe these are people who are following the ideas of Jesus. Um, but then the final one, do I depend on Jesus and what he has done for me to get me to heaven or my good deeds? And 63% said not good deeds, but Jesus is what I'm depending on to get me to heaven. And so I thought as we look at where American adults are today and their understanding of Jesus... I felt like it might challenge you and me to think a little bit about what we believe about Jesus. And I think it's important. So I'm, I'm looking over here at a group of high school students on my left. Hey, good morning, everybody. Love that wave. So I think at some point it's really important that you have a clear understanding of what it is you believe about Jesus and why you believe what you believe. And if it wasn't spring break, I would say there's lots of college students over here, but they'll be back next week. But some of you are college students over there. You can wave at me. And uh, I think you have to know why you believe what you believe about Jesus. And then I'll hear just a bunch of uh, adults, and there's even a few people my age sitting out through here. What do you believe about Jesus? Here's why. I think that when we don't know why we believe, what we believe, then our faith can be easily shaken. When we don't know why we believe what we believe, then our faith can be easily shaken. If we're not careful, we can be simple products of a culture that is ever shifting in its ideas and thinking. 
We can be easily swayed or persuaded or moved. If we don't know why we believe what we believe, then we can have ideas presented to us and say, well, yeah, I guess that's kind of good thinking too. I never thought of that. But when we come to this point in our lives that we know why we believe what we believe, then our faith is not easily shaken. So you and I are a part of a movement, the Church of Jesus Christ, who believes that God came to us. I mean, get this, okay? God, God Himself came to us in the form of a man, Jesus. So I get it. I understand. 2,000 years ago, Jesus showed up, but that wasn't when Jesus began to exist. And so the early church fathers in the Council of Nicaea in 325 said it this way, Jesus is co-eternal with God. Meaning that Jesus has always existed and Jesus will always exist. It wasn't like 2,000 years ago, boom! He has always been. And He will always be. And so there's a song that we sing here on occasion... And it simply says, Jesus at the center of it all. You ever sung that? Bet you never sung it in that key, though. <laughs> Jesus at the center of it all. Boy, that's kind of high, isn't it? From beginning to the end, He will always be. He's always been you, Jesus. And the words were kind of right. Not exactly right, but kind of right. <laughs> you want to sing it with me to rescue it from being a solo? Okay, here we go. Can we get a better key, Chad? I have no idea how to get there. Jesus at the center of it all. That's kind of low. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end. From beginning to the end. Anyway. Okay, I'm done. I'm not going to sing anymore. I, I, I have such trouble when I try that. And I thought today I could do it. But, oh well. So, let me tell you a story group of people. They live in a small village called Colossae. Okay? So what do you call people who live in Colossae? I'll give you a hint. We call people who live in America, Americans. People who live in Colossae are called... Oh, you guys are on your game this morning. Okay. So these people are getting a letter from a guy whose name is Paul. Uh, he is serving one of his many prison stints because he kept telling people that Jesus was at the center of everything, even creation, that he always had been and will always be. All right? And he kept going to prison for it over and over again. So he writes them a letter, not because he knows them, because he's never met them before, and not because he planted the church that they attend together, because he didn't. It was actually planted by a co-worker whose name was Epaphras. And Epaphras goes to visit Paul in prison, and obviously he says to Paul, hey, the Colossians, Paul, are facing some temptation in what they believe about Jesus. And so let me sum up the temptation they're dealing with, okay? Uh, many of these people who were raised in Colossae grew up uh, believing in many Greek and Roman gods. So I'll give you a word and you repeat it after me, okay? Polytheism. polytheism. What does poly mean? Many. Theos, God. So they believed in many gods. And so although they had been taught that Jesus 
was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered on the cross, died, was buried, but was raised in three days from the dead. Even though they believed that, they began to slip back into some old thinking. And some of them were saying, Jesus is God, good. We will accept Jesus with our many gods. We have a list of them. And Paul says, you can't think that way any longer. It's not true. There was another struggle, and the struggle was that there were Jewish Christians among them. Uh, he later calls them Judaizers, who believed that if you really want to follow Jesus well, then you have to keep all of the many commandments in the Torah, the Jewish law. And Paul says you can't think that way either. There is a sufficiency in Christ. And so he has this deep desire to help them understand who Jesus is. And this morning, I have a deep desire to help you and me better understand who Jesus is. And so he writes a poem. And here's the poem. It starts in verse 15 of Colossians, the first chapter, okay? And so, I don't know, if you've got a seatbelt in that chair, you might want to buckle it in because uh, these are incredible words that you're about to hear about Jesus. And what he does is he says, the Son, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Nobody has ever seen God. We believe in God. We believe God exists. We even believe God speaks to us. We love God deeply. We believe God is love. We believe God is light. But nobody has ever seen Him. And Paul says, here's what I want you to understand, okay, that Jesus, He is the actual image of the God you've never seen. The firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created. It's back to this idea that John gives us in chapter 1 when he says, nothing was created that wasn't created by Jesus. So we talked two weeks ago about the Trinity's involvement in creation. The Spirit is hovering over the waters. Jesus is present, okay? So nothing is created that He did not create. In Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. I mean, think about everything holding together, the galaxy, and everything is in orbit, and everything is moving and spinning. And Jesus, Jesus keeps all of that from spinning out of control. And He is the head of the body. So He moves from creation to new creation. God's new order, the church. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of His fullness dwell in Him, in Jesus. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. These are amazing words. This is truth. If I don't know why I believe what I believe, then my faith is in a shaky place and can be easily shaken. And believing the right thing 
determines so much in your life. The reason I'm talking about it today is because we all live with the same temptation. And that temptation is to create our own Jesus. A Jesus that fits my narrative. A Jesus that I'm really comfortable with. A Jesus whose call is not so, you know, demanding. A Jesus who does what I need Him to do. The Jesus I create is always more appealing. And so in this series that has been inspired and helped shape by a book called The Magnificent Story by James Bryan Smith, we have identified two versions of a shrunken gospel. So you have the gospel of Jesus Christ and then you have versions that we create. And there's one version that we've talked about over and over again and it's called uh, kind of this uh, shaming gospel that says, I'm really bad, God's really mad, and Jesus took my beating. You say, well, is that not true, Rick? There are elements of truth in it, but no, it's not true. And those elements of truth is what makes it believable. And when the gospel is reduced to that, then we really only need Jesus for one thing. To give His life on the cross. And that's what Jesus becomes to us. And if we're not careful, that's all Jesus becomes to us. He's the guy that died for me. And, and, and I love these words. James Bryan Smith said, we sing this song, Jesus paid it all. He said he did. But he also made it all. And if we forget the fact that Jesus was present, and Jesus is at the center of everything, even creation, then we've reduced Jesus to something very small. And so Jesus is at the center of everything. Nothing was created that wasn't created by Him. I remember one Sunday I was uh, leaving church and a guy had been attending, I think, OSU and he was in a class that required he and his friends to attend a, a, a church of a different religion and so he invited a couple of guys in his class who were Muslim to come and to visit his church so that they could say, okay, I visited a church of another religion. And so afterwards, he's a great guy, and he said, Pastor Rick, I want you to meet my friends that I brought with me. And he explained that we're in this class, and we all have to go to a church of a, a, another religion and, or worship experience of another religion. And so I, I invited my friends to come with me, and so I want you to meet them. And so I went back, and I met these guys. And so we talked a little bit. And as we talked, uh, one of them brought up uh, his belief about Jesus. And I said, yeah, I would, I would love to hear more about that. And he said, well, you know, we believe Jesus was a, a really good man. He was a great teacher. And, and they even went so far to say that Jesus was a great, okay, great prophet. And so I, I felt like I knew their, their beliefs, but I, I just said, well... You know, in, in, in my tradition, we believe that Jesus was, was far beyond, you know, a good man and a great teacher and a great prophet. I believe Jesus was indeed God. 
do you embrace that teaching? And they very warmly, very kindly said, no, we, we do not. But we do believe he was a great prophet of God. And so I don't want to pick on them. I came to pick on you. I mean, that's why I'm here, you know, but... I think that even in our circles, I think that among people who, who say, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, I've committed to follow Him, there's this temptation to create a Jesus that kind of fits our own narrative. We really ought to be good neighbors, and you know what, we really should. Because Jesus was a good neighbor, and we really ought to be concerned about issues like social justice. And you know what? We really should because Jesus really was concerned about those things. And we really should love people and help them. And I agree, we really should love people and help them because really for Jesus, that was the bottom line. What does love require of me? But there is a movement in our society that moves along that rail and finally says... But for me to embrace the fact that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit or born of a virgin or was raised from the dead, that's where I kind of get off and say, I can't travel with you any further. And when that's the case, an individual creates a Jesus who was a good man and a great teacher, but not the Son of God. And so Paul, 2,000 years ago, finds himself in a place that's not so unlike the place we sometimes find ourselves as Christians in our world. With people around us saying, you know what, Jesus died for me and that's kind of what I needed him for. And so that's kind of how I define Jesus. He's the guy who gave his life. Or we find other people saying, we believe in the teachings of Jesus and we think Jesus was really a good man and we're enamored with Jesus. We're drawn to Jesus. But... I can't buy into the fact that he was really God. And so Paul says to them, I need you to understand something. There's something I really need to communicate with you. You have to hear me when I say that Jesus was indeed the Son of God and there was nothing that was created that was not created by him. I recently read a story of a, a young woman in her mid-twenties. Her name is Robin. She was raised Jewish. And so Robin said, I, I barely noticed that my father slipped away from my family when I was two years old because we immediately moved in with my grandparents. And my grandfather was full of boundless energy and he became an awesome father figure in my life. And she said... As I grew up, I grew up a good Jewish girl. I went to synagogue. I uh, observed the holy days. I ate kosher. And she said, um, however, as I moved into high school, I felt like I was living with one foot in one world and a foot in the other. So on one hand, I was trying to be this good Jewish girl uh, who observed the holy days and did all those things to be, you know, unlike everybody else. However, 
on Friday and Saturday nights, I was just being like everybody else. I was experimenting with alcohol and drugs and partying, and I just blended in with my society. So she says, when I went to college, it was the same. I, I was the person reminding the people in the cafeteria, you know, Passover's coming. Make sure you have kosher foods for us who are Jewish. But then on weekends, I was, I was living like everybody else. She said, when I was in college, my world came crashing down. My grandmother was murdered. It was called to push in crime. In other words, when she was opening the door to her home, somebody came behind her, pushed her in the door, hit her on the head, killed her, and stole all the money that she had on her. Seven bucks. My grandfather died six months later. I think it was because his heart was broken. I go back to school after attending both their funerals, and I get sick, physically sick. The yellow, the white rather, my eyes turn a bright yellow. My skin is diseased. My hair is coming out in clamps. I have hepatitis. I can't get well. My parents finally bring me home from school. I can't function. No matter how much I sleep, I can't get enough rest. They took me to the best doctors our money could buy us. Nobody could seem to help me. But it seemed like that everybody in my family had come to know somebody who was a follower of Jesus. And so now I'm subject to all these people wanting to talk to me about Jesus. One person in particular who was a friend of my mom who was raised Jewish but had become a believer that Jesus was the Messiah and was worshiping Jesus. And she would say to me, I want to take you, Robin, to my church and I want these people to pray for you for your healing. And I would say to her, I'm not going to your church and I don't want you to talk to me about the New Testament. And she would respond, it's okay. There's plenty in the Jewish scripture in the Old Testament to talk about Jesus. And she said it was one day when she was talking to me from Isaiah 53. He was, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And she said, I began to believe that there was a possibility that Jesus might indeed be the Messiah. And so on my own, I turned to the New Testament. I knew Jesus was a Jew, but nobody told me that Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Peter and Paul and James and all those other guys were Jews too. And that they went to the temple like my family went to the temple and participated in the same practices that my family had participated in all my life. I related to these guys. She said, but that's not what blew me away. When I read the New Testament, what blew me away was Jesus I never read about anybody so loving and so kind and so forgiving and so awesome. She said, I wept my way through the New Testament. And I went to the church with my mom's friend. And they did bring me up in front of everybody else and they prayed for my healing. But when they finished praying for me, I was not even tuned into what was going on with me physically. Something else was happening to me. And I turned to my friend and I said, what is going on? I feel like I have worn chains all of my life and they have fallen off. I feel like I have been asleep all of my life and for the first time I'm awake, it's like there is new blood that's coursing through my veins. And my friend says to me, you've met Jesus. See, when I was, when I was younger, my parents told me, you should follow Jesus. And my pastor told me, Rick, you should follow Jesus. And my, my Sunday school teacher said, Ricky, you should follow Jesus. 
But that's not why ultimately I followed Jesus. It's because I came to know Jesus. And I was overwhelmed by His love and His forgiveness. And I wanted to be like Jesus. Because Jesus is good. And Jesus is beautiful. And Jesus is true. And we've kind of built this whole series on this idea that any story worth giving the power to shape our lives must pass a simple test. Is it good? Is it beautiful? And is it true? The transcendentals, they transcend the human realm. Any story that I give the power to shape my life, it must pass this simple test. Is this story good? Is it beautiful? Is it true? And I came to a place that Robin came to in her life that I said Jesus is good and He's beautiful and He's true and I want to follow Him. Smith says, when I hear people say, we need to help people make a commitment to following Jesus. And he says, I say, no, no, stop that kind of thinking. We need to introduce people to Jesus because when people come to know Jesus, they will desire to follow Him. And so in this letter to the Colossians, Paul doesn't say, well, let's go over here and dissect this idea of polytheism and all of your polytheistic ways. And he doesn't go over to these people who are monotheistic and say, well, let's go over here and talk about the laws and the do's and the don'ts. No, he just says, what if I show you what Jesus is like? Because if you meet Jesus, if you see Jesus for who He really is, you'll understand that Jesus is at the center of everything and He is sufficient for you and you will follow Him. And so he begins in this poem, two stanzas. The first really talk about Jesus is the creator of all things. And the second stanza talks about this new creation, the church, and how Jesus is head over the church. And so he gives us these words, the Son is the image of the invisible God. And Paul knew what we know. Religions and people and philosophical systems have always believed that there was something, someone, somewhere who is responsible for all of this. And Paul says, it's Jesus. He embodies the character and the purposes of God. Everything was created by Him, for Him, and He holds it all together. In Him all things were created. And in Him all things are sustained. And then He talks about this new creation. And He is the head of the body, the church. I told you that uh, I was in Africa a couple of weeks ago. We have a friend there uh, that we've made, not a Nazarene guy, um, he actually owns a bed and breakfast, and that's how we know him. And when we go, we stay. And some of you have gone and stayed at what's called Mabuda Farms in the town of Stegi. And he's an ophthalmologist. Um, and he's connected with a hospital there in Stegi called Good Shepherd. It's actually a teaching hospital. You may be surprised 
that there's a teaching hospital in a, in a country as remote as uh, Eswatini, Swaziland. Uh, but um, it's actually an opportunity for people who are studying medicine all over the world to get a different approach to medicine. In a country where technology is not quite advanced, and so people come from all over the world. Well, he serves as a director for many interns. So these are young medical doctors, okay? Uh, not just ophthalmologists, but most of them are MDs. And they're all young, and they've all come from uh, Australia or uh, Switzerland or uh, some from Scotland that I met that night. Um, you know, England, Germany, you name it. All over the world. And they're all young. They're all smart as they can be. And, and we said, we're going to be at Mabuda. We'd love to get dinner with you. And he said, come to our house for dinner on Wednesday night. It's our Bible study. So what he decided a few years ago was, what if we invited all these interns to our house for a Bible study? Some of them know Jesus. Some of them don't know Jesus. But what if we shared Jesus with all of them? And so when I walked into their house, there were tables in rooms that don't usually have tables. And there were enough places for over 30 people. And at 6 o'clock, boy, here they came in. All of them just came in. Some of them there for only six weeks. Some of them can be there as much as two years. And we ate this big pot of spaghetti. And after we ate, you sit wherever you wanted. The wife stands up and says, we're so thankful that you're in our home to share dinner with us. We hope you can all stay for the Bible study. If you're able to stay for the study, just raise your hand and I'll count you in the number. And so I raised my hand and she said, okay, Rick, you're one. And she went all the way around and some people left, but most people stayed. And we got in groups of three. One, two, three. One, two, three. You went to this table. Twos went to this table. Threes went to this table. And one of those people led the study. And I sat at a table with people from all over the world. Some of them knew almost nothing about Jesus, while others were developed Christians in their faith. And I'm going to level with you. I felt a little ashamed. Why aren't we inviting people into our lives and saying, do you want to study the Bible with me? I was blown away at the fact that so many stayed. And at my table, there were three who knew very little about Jesus. Okay, you just... I'm, I'm going to try to say this as well as I can, okay? That we're talking about the incarnation today, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that God himself came to this earth in human form. Because we were lost in our sin. And He comes to perform the rescue Himself. And Jonathan Pons believes this so deeply that every Wednesday night he sets up 30 chairs in his home and he invites all these people to come in to let them find this new life. This rightness in their relationship with God. Because he believes that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, suffered and died on the cross, was buried, but in three days was raised from the dead because He is the only Son of God. You, you understand what I'm talking about today? 
It's our only hope. We have no hope outside the Incarnation. And so let me, let me say this to you in closing, okay? As we are going through the season of Lent, and as you get up in the mornings, and you're reading your Bible, and you're having your prayer time, or at night before you go to bed, whatever it is that you're spending your time with the Lord, okay? Or in your classes, or wherever you're focused on Jesus and His journey to the cross... I want you to picture him in your mind just now. Would you walking down that, that dirt road with dust between his toes and disciples walking along with him, his robe flowing in the wind, okay, as he's walking along those Palestinian roads. Do you see Jesus? And if you want to go a step further, go ahead and picture him in your mind with the cross on his back and the crown of thorns on his head, okay? And then you have to ask yourself this morning this question, who do I believe he is? Is He indeed God carrying my cross? So I want you to stand with me. I want to pray. And then I want us to respond this morning by affirming our faith in Jesus. So Father... Help us all to make it our mission to know why we believe what we believe. That we will not be influenced by the shifting currents of our culture. But as the church of Jesus Christ... Spirit, born of a virgin, suffered on the cross, died, was buried, but in three days was raised to life, is God come to us. And we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.